Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. There's a lot to love about living in the Bay Area. I'm grateful every day for our weather, for the fact that I can easily get outside and into nature, not to mention all of the great food at my fingertips all the time. But I've lived in the same apartment for nine years, in part because I feel stuck. Housing is so expensive, it just doesn't seem possible to move, let alone buy a house. And I'm lucky. There are so many people who are fighting to hold on to their housing or who don't have any. It all just makes me wonder, what can we do to make housing more affordable? One obvious solution is to build more housing. The state says California needs to build 2 million units in the next five years just to keep up with inflation. But we're nowhere near that goal, in part because it's super expensive to build here. And that means a lot of what does get built is way too expensive for most people. To me, that's the definition of a broken system. This is the new battlefront for us to, to create less expensive, faster and better quality affordable homes. California is the most expensive state in the country to build affordable housing. So no easy task. Today, we're exploring an idea that's been tried before and never really took off. Some people think now is its moment. Modular housing. I'm Katrina Schwartz, and this is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
KQED housing reporters Molly Solomon and Aaron Baldessari have spent months looking into some possible solutions to California's housing crisis. And today, we're bringing you an excerpt from a new KQED podcast they host. It's called Sold Out. The city of Vallejo sits across the bay from San Francisco. There's an old factory there that's been around since the 1940s. It's got big windows, high ceilings, tons of light. Oh, I consider this an industrial cathedral, to be honest with you. Larry Pace runs operations on the ground here. I love the idea that this place was built to supply our Navy and our military. It's where they once built submarines for World War II. Today, they're building housing. It's called Factory OS, and it's part of a new wave of modular housing builders that are popping up in California, the Pacific Northwest, and across the country. Larry likes to play up the factory's wartime history. It's kind of part of his old shtick. This is the new battlefront. The battlefront is for us to, to create less expensive, faster and better quality, affordable homes. And that's what we do here at Factory OS. It works kind of like a car factory. You got a chassis, and then every component goes on it thereafter. We have 33 stations. When you come, But instead of, of building cars, it's apartments. Workers in hard hats and goggles are stationed along a U-shaped assembly line. They start with big wooden boxes. Right now, you're, you're at station number 1A and 1B. And what you're seeing is this is where the floors of the volumes are built. There's a station where the plumbing goes in and one where they put in the electrical wiring. All the units are done, appliances are installed, paint's all done, front door is done and closed. They do everything, right down to the toilet paper roll. It all gets wrapped in plastic, loaded on a truck for the building site in San Francisco. That's where the blocks will get stacked together, like really big Legos, and turned into a six-story building to house formerly homeless people. And it all happens really fast, from the factory floor to finished in a matter of months. Speed is one reason modular housing is making a comeback. It has the potential to cut costs by 20 percent and cut construction time in half compared to a typical project built the traditional way. That's according to research from the University of California, Berkeley's Turner Center. We spoke with Carolina Reed, who's a faculty research advisor there. California is the most expensive state in the country to build affordable housing. And the most expensive place to build in California is right here in the Bay Area. It can cost $600,000 or more to build just one apartment for low-income renters. I think some of those costs are out of our control. It's always going to be expensive to build here, right? We're always going to be paying higher wages. We're always going to be, you know, land is always going to be more scarce here. You've also got permitting fees, project delays, hey, maybe a lawsuit if you're unlucky. It all rolls into a big, scary price tag. Developers like to say that in order to build a project, it has to pencil out. You have to charge enough rent to cover your costs and still make a profit. So as the costs to build go up, rents go up too. And San Francisco is a prime example of that. A lot of people are forced to spend half of their paycheck on rent. It's not just California. Prices are rising in cities across the country, while incomes are staying flat. And it's why builders are looking for another way. Builders like Rick Holiday, who founded Factory OS with Larry Pace. If we don't figure out how to build housing differently, we're not going to have very much housing. It's an industry that has to 
try to remake itself. So that's what we're trying to do. Rick has had a long career in housing. He started Bridge, one of the nation's top affordable housing developers. And in the 80s, he was building live-work lofts in San Francisco. He later started building condos in industrial and low-income neighborhoods in and around Oakland. It was before a lot of other developers, kind of like the early start to gentrification in those areas. But in recent years, Rick became more and more frustrated with high costs and the old way of building. You know, a developer buys the land and hires a contractor to oversee the project and hires a bunch of other subcontractors who each have a specific job. We have a system that is completely antiquated where somebody comes to the site and grades the site. Then somebody comes in and digs trenches to put in underground utilities, water and sewer, and then somebody, and it all sequential. So as longer somebody's late, you lose two weeks. If you lose two weeks, you may lose a sub. You lose a sub, then you gotta go to another one. It's way more expensive. You realize there's all these circumstances where if people don't do what they're supposed to in the proper sequence, it throws everything off and it ends up costing more time and more money. And Rick thought, we can't keep going like this. We're going to get to a point where it's just not going to work. And sure enough, that's actually what happened. In 2004, Rick started work on a project in Truckee, California. Truckee is a small town in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, just north of Lake Tahoe. Home prices there have gone up as more people from the Bay Area are buying vacation homes or relocating. It's an economy that really needs more workforce housing because a lot of the, um, you know, workers there are, are getting pushed out. So Truckee started looking for ways to redevelop its downtown. They brought in Rick to build apartments on an old rail yard. And things did not go smoothly. He spent the next decade fighting to get this one project off the ground. There was the Great Recession, a lawsuit from a nearby business, and a shortage of construction workers. When the housing bubble burst, thousands of construction workers lost their jobs. Many of them just left the industry. That made it really hard to find skilled workers when the market picked back up again. And I said, you know, we're never gonna build anything up here if we don't build it differently. You could just tell that there just wasn't a labor force to do it and it was getting too expensive. And that was in 2014. He called up his old friend, Larry, who'd worked as a construction contractor for decades. Rick's pitch, let's go all in on modular and build it ourselves. He wasn't terribly enthused about it. You know, he said, you know, Rick, I think this is a bunch of crap. He said, it's not going to work. It made sense that Larry was skeptical. Prefabricated housing has a long history. It's come and gone, and it hasn't always worked. So why do people like Rick think it's the big fix that's going to save housing? You know, the story of prefabrication is both a story of imagination and necessity. Ryan Smith teaches design and construction at Washington State University. Prefabrication has been born as a result of society's need for more housing. And he says building a home in a factory dates all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. As soon as you have steam power and factories producing certain goods. I mean, Thomas Edison, goodness, he had a, he had a prototype even. 
One of the first advertised prefab homes was built by a London carpenter in the 1830s for his son, who was moving to Australia. The British Empire took that idea and ran with it as they continued their global conquest, shipping colonists and homes around the world. Really, there weren't a lot of materials in those regions, and so taking what they knew and how they how they knew how to build, they were able to produce in high quantities sheet materials, which was corrugated iron, and then uh, pre-cut kits, so pre-cut wood to the right lengths. And those were not modules or panels. That was just a kit that was bundled. The idea later became popular in America. Most people remember it from Sears and their famous catalog. You could flip through hundreds of pictures of different styles and designs and order the one you liked. For a couple thousand dollars, Sears would ship you a kit with all these little pieces, kind of like a really big IKEA project. Sears sold more than 70,000 homes, but after years of bad business during the Great Depression, the business fizzled out. One of the biggest efforts to mass-produce homes came from the U.S. government. In the years after World War II, the country had a problem. Listen to this old documentary from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Part of the problem is people. Not that people aren't nice. Some of them are very nice. But there are so many of them. About 6,000 are born every day in the USA, including Sundays and holidays. That's right. Boomers. All those babies being born after the war. Which brings us to the real problem, providing housing for that many new people each year. We just haven't been building that much. Sounds familiar? The idea was to use new technology to help solve that housing shortage. A new way of doing things. A housing breakthrough. And they called it Operation Breakthrough. George Romney, Mitt Romney's father, was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development at the time. Romney had run American Motors in Detroit and figured he could do for housing production what the assembly line did for cars. He bet big on Operation Breakthrough, even predicting that two-thirds of all housing built in America would be factory-made within 10 years. And he initiates an effort to reuse World War II shipbuilding factories and tank factories to make housing. Um, and puts hundreds of millions of dollars into the program. In two years, HUD built 2,700 homes across the country. But some of those homes had problems. There were leaks and rust, and a lot of them started to fall apart. Operation Breakthrough was largely seen as an expensive failure. That program was squashed, funding was pulled, and unfortunately it folded. The quality of modular has improved a lot since the 1970s. And that could help it succeed where Operation Breakthrough failed. Ryan says modular today is even better than what you can build on a regular construction site. Research shows that the quality of the products coming out of factories is much higher. The dream of Operation Breakthrough was to house a lot of people at a low cost. And it's the same dream that people have for modular housing today. And a lot of that excitement is coming from Silicon Valley, the epicenter of innovation and a crippling housing crisis. I think you finally have people who have the purse strings and have the wherewithal to make it happen paying attention. And that's going to make a a big difference in, in, in moving the needle here. Normally, banks will loan money to developers bit by bit over the course of a project. But with prefab, you need most of the financing at the beginning to run the factory and buy the materials before you even start building. 
when you get a factory involved, they need upfront cash to get that line going. And so that has been a major barrier. Some banks have been open to this idea, but it's that tech money that's really gotten things going. A large order from Google helped get Factory OS off the ground. The company needed 300 apartment units to house its employees near the campus in Mountain View. And now, Google's helping them open a new factory. It'll double their capacity to 4,000 apartments next year. Modular housing is only 3% of new buildings in the U.S., but it's growing. And it could be one way to help us out of our housing shortage. To really get at that shortage, we'll have to innovate in ways that go beyond modular and even reimagine the types of spaces that we live in, like backyard cottages or co-housing. Think dorms for adults. Because the old way of building, it isn't working anymore. It's too expensive and it takes too long. And we need to change that if we want enough homes for everyone. Thanks to KQED reporters Molly Solomon and Aaron Baldessari, along with editor Erica Kelly, for that story. Building affordable, modular housing more quickly is an exciting idea, but there are still barriers. The construction industry has been slow to get on board, and unions are worried this trend will drive wages down. Also, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the Bay Area housing market. Rents in San Francisco are down right now. It's a little unclear how things will shake out if and when more people have to go into their offices again. But overall, there's still a housing shortage. Definitely go check out the rest of the Sold Out podcast. They get into all kinds of really important housing topics like homelessness, housing segregation, and they highlight some solutions. It's really informative and well-made, totally worth a listen. Also, what are you wondering about these days? Remember, this podcast runs on your questions. So head over to baycurious.org and tell us what's on your mind. We might investigate your question next. Bay Curious is produced by Susie Racho, Katie McMurrin, and me, Katrina Schwartz. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.